the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back as we head into Hour 2. This is uh, a real privilege. This is where we're going to fulfill that promise of culture and things I was mentioning, uh, some things I was mentioning in my opening monologue in the last hour when I woke up uh, and read uh, the news about the passing of Jimmy Buffett. I knew immediately where to go to try and find the guest I knew I wanted. Um, That guest, he is uh, known as the Bayou Troubadour. He is a police detective. He is a Bourbon Street performer. He is a Trop Rock Award winner. He is Matt Hoggett. Matt, welcome to the Airwaves of Phoenix, and thanks for being with us, sir. Thanks for having me, Seth. I appreciate it. You betcha. Jimmy Buffett shaped untold numbers of lives, and many people uh, know his music intimately. Uh, Would you like to tell the story of how you got to know not only his music intimately, but him intimately? Sure. Yeah, so I had a... uh a kind of a common experience that a lot of people had. When I was about 13 years old, my mom and dad had the Changes in Latitudes cassette tape, uh-huh. you know, uh-huh. and uh, and we'd, we'd go on, like, family vacations because my mom and dad were teachers, and they were out during the summer, and we would listen to that tape. And I remember as a 13-year-old, I didn't really understand a lot of, like, the, um, the boozy references, you uh-huh. know, in some sure. of the songs. But I understood what a pirate was, and I knew what the beach was, and I knew that he was from my area because I was—I'm from Pascagoula, Mississippi, too—and and it just resonated with me. And then somewhere along the line, there, I think for my next birthday, I got the uh, box set, the Boat Speeches, Bars, and Ballads, and man, for me, that was that was the rabbit hole. Uh I fell down, and I hadn't stopped falling yet. And uh, it just changed me. Um, I felt like the music spoke to me and had a book in there with it. And that was really it explained how, what his songs were about. And I thought, man, that is just the coolest thing. But I didn't have any intention then to really be a songwriter. I was just a fan, yeah. you know. And, and uh, later on in life, I ended up turning into kind of a guitar player. I was uh, a musician. I was in the Army band. I was a horn player, and uh, when I switched to guitar somewhere around, like, 2005, I started writing songs, and I thought, well, maybe I'll write what I know about, and mm-hmm. I know about the beach, and I know about Jimmy Buffett-type stuff, so let me just try to write some stuff like that, and that's kind of what led me to uh, the big break I had where I was able to actually meet him. You, uh, as I understand, what, what kind of horn player were you, by the way? Well, I played the trumpet, and I also played a thing called the euphonium, which is like the big cousin of trumpet. It's not related at all, Matt. Our first disagreement. (laughs) The trumpet is God's instrument, and the euphonium... No one can name me a famous euphonium player. No, and you know what? They're not naming me one either. (laughs) (laughs) You you then uh, entered a contest... 
That's right. Yeah, yeah. Take, take it I from there for us. Open mic. Yeah, yeah. I, I was uh, when I got out of the uh, Army National Guard. I started playing guitar at like coffee shops and open mics, and I'd write songs. and And then I would also travel up to Nashville and take like songwriting classes. And, and I found out you can pay money up in Nashville, and all kinds of people will listen to your <laughs> songs and tell you how crappy they are. You know, after you're done. And I did all of that, and uh, I was trying to find a way to have a Nashville presence but not move to Nashville, so I would enter contests. And uh, I, would, I wrote a jingle for a chili company. I won a year's supply, supply canned chili on one song. Not bad. And then I entered this uh, American Songwriter magazine. I'd actually won third place one time, and then people would always win with these dark, uh, tragic lyrics, uh, poetic songs, and... I said, well, I'm going to put something there that's completely opposite. So I put this kind of tongue-in-cheek song I wrote about Jimmy Buffett in there, and uh, danged if I didn't win first place with it, yeah. which included a, a magazine article. And, and Jimmy's people read the magazine, and uh, one day I got on my computer, and I had an email from a record label guy that works for Jimmy's record label, and it simply said, Give me a call. JB wants to talk to you. And it had a phone number, and that and that was history for me. I want people to go and watch the story as told by him and yourself. Uh, they could do it at YouTube. Just yeah. go to Matt Hoggett, Dear Jimmy Buffett, live in Tallahassee. Hoggett is H-O-G-G-A-T-T. You got to tour around with him. You got a record deal. I should mention your own album, Hotter Than Fish Grease. Matt Hoggett, H O G G A T T, right? Yep, that's it. Yep, I, that's actually my website. It's matthoggett.com, or go. you can go to buyoutroubadour.com. I'm on Facebook, too. I want to delve into the importance of Jimmy Buffett, which some people, yeah. you know, they don't, you know, if they're not familiar with it, they, they may not be. They might give right. you a raised eyebrow or something. We'll get to that. But before we yeah. do, a little bit more about yourself. Am I given to understand you are also a uh, you, you are also a police officer? You're in law enforcement. You might even be pursuing advanced study in that field. I was at the time I won this contest. I was a detective sergeant, and I ended up quitting to go on the road for a couple of years full time. And then I, I did that for a couple of years and decided to go back to work because I was not far from retirement age. So I went back to work um, and then basically toured on the weekends. And I retired from law enforcement out here a couple of years ago. And I, I, uh, I teach at a community college. About that. This this whole experience allowed me to go back to school um, and help pay for that. I was able to get a master's degree. I'm almost halfway through a, a PhD right now. And a lot of it because of being able to play the guitar. I play the guitar on the weekends and sure. I tour around and I play shows house concerts and different things and i have some albums you know streaming and um it's just been a blessing to me it's it's opened so many doors beyond just the financial side which is i think a big part of the kind of the hidden jimmy bucket story has yeah. to do with the with the people aspect of it like i think you're going to get to but yeah um yeah that's my life story I've done, I've done all of those things um where i was a cold case investigator and a songwriter and I tell people that those two professions have to do with uh, you have to work off the tips for either one. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's not surprising to me that you are pursuing even advanced degrees in the field. For those that do study uh, or 
love and then learned to study some of Jimmy Buffett's work. It's very literary. Yeah. He was very, very mm-hmm. fond of including all kinds of literary references uh, from all kinds of writers. Yes, he loved the Southern writers, but also the French, uh, a lot of Mark Twain. I'm not wrong about this, am I? No, you're dead on the money. You're absolutely right, yeah. I'm thinking I remember just off the top of my head some references to Flaubert, Mark Twain, I heard you. You know, one of his one of his songs about Mark Twain, uh, which is uh, Mark Twain inspired, is uh, Be Good and You Will Be Lonesome. That's what living is to me, I believe, is the title. Yeah. And I want to yeah. talk to you about that in just a moment. But yeah. your story is so similar to mine. It must strike, or he must strike somewhere around 13 you got in on changes in attitudes. I got in on son of a son of a sailor. I was just up in my bedroom and my older sister had that old, you know, her old album there. And I just looked at yeah. it. I saw this guy, you know, in a, in a, in a, in a, in a sailor suit. And I thought, well, I'll just yeah. put that on. I'll tell you how much it grabbed me. It grabbed me so much. My family was going out to dinner that night. And people who know me well know that, you know, it's a very dangerous place to be between me and a plate of food. And um, and going out to dinner in those days was a special privilege. Um, I, I I turned it down. I stayed home just to listen to that album over and over oh, again. Wow. Yeah, that's the yeah. grab it had on. By the way, I think those two albums may have even come out the same year, 1978. They could have. He was pushing out a bunch at that time. I, the, I first heard Son of a Sailor on the box set. I hadn't heard it till I got the box set, and that song haunted me. Yeah. And the bell in it. When yeah. it hits the bell, ding, ding. Yeah. I, I could not get that out of my head. I still can't get it out of my head. Uh, yeah, shake the, the hand of the mango it. man. I yes, I um, it, it's it, an incredible personnel on those albums too. I yeah. think Steve Goodman yeah. was on that album, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Um, really, I mean, just tremendous. Well, I want to talk more about some of the music and some of the songs and some of sure. you and some of your. I, you're probably used to a lot of hosting of your own podcast we're doing commercial radio here so i do have to take a commercial break matt if you're willing to stay with me i'd love to keep you absolutely and also maybe talk a little bit about law enforcement too which is a big issue we've been talking about here too if wouldn't mind sharing some of your thoughts on that i'm seth liebson he's matt hoggett h-o-g-g-a-t-t and uh he and i will uh be right back you can go to his website matt Hoggett.com, matthoggett.com. He and I'll be right back. Waiting for some mystery man to pay him for his time, but thinking about all the money he made couldn't help to ease his mind. Havana Dreaming. Matt Hoggett is my guest. He is uh, known as the Bayou Chubador. His own album, Hotter Than Fish Grease, a great story with Jimmy Buffett, who gave him his um, recording contract and uh, spent a lot of time with Jimmy Buffett. Matt, what, what is it? I mean, I, I guess everyone has a slightly different explanation. Jimmy wrote uh, thousands of songs. You and I probably love all of them, um, and you and I probably, as you put it out yourself, we know a lot of these songs so much by heart. Radio only played about five of them, maybe. Um, was, yeah. what, 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 they didn't know what to do with him. It didn't fit a category. What is that about, man? Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Um, you know, uh, did I, I didn't lose you, did I? No, we're here. Oh, okay. I, I think that it all falls into this old phrase that they have in Nashville. It's one of the first things you learn when you go up there and you try to be a musician is you try to be commercial, which yeah. isn't 
really a negative thing. I mean, but it, you know, it can come across that way. But his music was just unique. It wasn't rock and roll. It was rock, some of it was rock and roll ish. It wasn't country, although some of it was country ish, and it wasn't pop, but some of it was pop ish. And I mean, heck, I'd venture to say he even sort of halfway rapped on some of his songs, you know, <laughs> and some of those things. And so he he was just unique. But I think he figured out pretty early on that you know. I want to do my own thing. And I think there's people out there that want to hear that. So that's what I'm going to aim for. And, and he didn't aim for the radio. He started aiming for people's hearts. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, you know, why we've, we're seeing what we're seeing now um, just all over the world and on the internet. And, you know, in particular, the, the amount of love that's out there, just because he was unique, it was a true artist. And, and, uh, you know, he could have taken uh, some other song that uh, some other artist wrote and, uh, you know, it would have gone on the radio. Yeah. I have no doubt about it. He could have taken some commercial thing, but he sure. wanted to take us on an adventure, and that adventure just didn't include FM radio. Um, yeah. That just wasn't his blender, uh, you know. Yeah. And, yeah. and I'm I'm glad for that. Although I'm sure it must have been awfully frustrating for him at the beginning. But, but you know, I'm, but, but no know one had the tour st- the tour life that he had. I mean, you know, yeah. the, the, yeah. the radio play was one thing, but was there a year he didn't do? innumerable tours all in massive sold-out stadiums i mean up until probably this past year i don't think anyone had a touring schedule or audience like him no i i I don't know the exact numbers but i was always told and i've read that he was one of the top touring artists of all time and 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 he didn't have to do that clearly again and he would have been fine you know he wasn't like a lot of artists that are doing that because that's a substantial part of your income these days because record sales aren't like they used to be. He was doing it out of fun. Yeah. Um, but there is no doubt in my mind. I mean, I've, I've seen it firsthand, and anybody that's been around him will tell you the same thing. But he likes that, a hard work ethic, and he wanted to try to reach as many people as he could through his concerts. And the only way to do that is just to do a lot of concerts in a lot of places. And uh, Hell, he sure did that, didn't he? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I was privileged to go to a couple. One up really close, probably one of my favorite all times, I think sixth row at the Hollywood Bowl. But one of the things that was – I've been to a lot of concerts. One of the things that was so noticeably different about them, no matter the size, is it was yeah. a family affair. I mean, you saw grandparents, parents. You saw three generations. You saw people <laughs> wandering over at the tailgates to each other and sampling each other's burgers and drinks. And I, there was nothing more friendly or more family-friendly than these shows that were, you know, about, you know, a lifestyle. Yeah. I, I've I never said there's nothing yeah. like it or was. One of the big ones that, that's like that is in Frisco, Texas. It's just a ginormous concrete parking lot outside the venue. And they turn it into a tailgate, uh, extraordinary, like a, something between a circus and, you know, the Roman Coliseum as far as, <laughs> as people go. It's just enormous amount of things. And everything you say, you, you, you just described was there. And I, I made an observation about that the first time I went to that show because I would play his his concerts were so big that their people would play concerts outside the concert yes, right. for his concert. Right. And, you know, and so I was doing some of that and and I made the, the note, you know, it, it's very difficult to get to create an entertainment value that involves every age group and every demographic, you know, in the country. And yep. he was able to do that. There was every kind of uh, human being you could think of yep. at every possible age, just like you said, 
and probably and probably you would know this as a, as a as a law enforcement probably very little security issues like most major concerts everyone was so would, dang friendly they were the cops were glad to work yeah because bet. they knew there wasn't any drama right. and they got to hear right. somebody they probably liked I'm, i got a picture of me i'll have to find it at the frisco texas show and the cops had on hawaiian shirts yeah yeah yeah. And I thought that was the coolest thing, man. I said, ah, man, I wish I worked up here. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Matt Hoggett is yeah. my guest. He um, he wrote a song about Jimmy Buffett. Jimmy liked it so much. Can I play the audience just a little bit of it to give them a flavor of sure. you, Matt? Can I? Can I? Thanks. Mm-hmm. Got some family here tonight. Thank y'all for coming. I got a friend of mine that even called in sick on his first day of the job. Well, dear Jimmy Buffett, I wrote you this song. I hope that you like how it goes. You see, for 20 years now, I've studied your music. There ain't a damn song I don't know. And I grew up like you in the Mississippi sand and followed your every move. No, sir, I'm not a stalker. Just a songwriter Trying to make it like you Cause you got those planes Restaurant chains Tequila and land shark beer Well, people can get a sense. I, did, I can't do a, I can't reinvent AM Rock Matt or whatever AM Gulf Western anymore. But I wanted to give people a sense of your tremendous talent as well. Is it unfair to ask you, Matt, if you have favorites? Of Jimmy Buffett's is it an unfair question? No, not at all. I am for me the album that blew me away. I didn't get I didn't get these in chronological order because right. I was I was born in seventy seven. So yep. naturally, some of the work came out before me. But and at a time when you couldn't just go to iTunes as a teenager, so I would get this at the record store, and I would get them at the record store in my town here, where sometimes they, whatever they had available, I'd just go in and buy it. You know, so I got them all out of all out of whack. Um, you know, but when I f- was able to finally go in there one time and they had living and dying and three quarter yeah. time album yeah. and they had Jimmy sitting on this half sunk boat and the name of the boat was good luck. Yeah. <laughs> and I saw that I, the album and I was like, that is the coolest picture ever, man. Yeah. What is this all about? And I took it home and I, I popped it in the Sony discman and I, I, uh, was thinking to myself as I listened to it, I was like, this is unlike anything else that he's done. It doesn't sound like a beach album. It's like a kind of a country album or something. Yeah. But, you know, it was really bizarre, I thought, and uh, it just haunted me. Um, the Brahma Fear song that was on there blew my mind. Um, West Nashville Grand Ball, Group Room Down, Saxophones, and um, <laughs> just You're, bring, me. you're bringing just back started. memories. You're, let me take a quick commercial break. I'll come right back with yeah. more from Matt Hoggett. To a rhythm that only he knows. Matt Hoggett is our guest. He uh, very close uh, with Jimmy Buffett, who gave him his uh, first recording contract after he won a won a contest singing about Jimmy Buffett. Got to spend a lot of time with him, a musician in his own right. You can go to MattHoggett.com, H-O-G-G-A-T-T. Matt, uh, Jimmy liked to sing about individuals, sometimes named mostly not. 
Um, of course, the wino and I know, the wino and I know that we just played had to have been about someone in particular. Um, I think of the captain and the kid, of course, Eddie Belchowski, and uh, he went to Paris. And there, they, there is a sadness to some of these songs. There's no question there's a sadness to some of them, isn't there, or am I misreading it? No, I think there is. I think it's kind of, sometimes it's, sometimes it's a, a redeeming sadness, yeah. but I think he really hit every emotion you can hit in his writing, um, except for anger. And he did hit that kind of in some things, but he did it in a humorous kind of way. You know, he's not paying $50 for a bag of Junior Mints in yeah, the movie. That's right. A, a fruitcake song. He, he hit that, but he hit it in a funny way. Um, and I can't think of anything that he's ever done to, to reach that side of the, the, um, the Rubik's Cube, if you will. Yeah. And a lot of artists, they do. You know, they get, can get rageful and things. But he concentrated on the heart. Um and yes, there was a lot of sadness in some of them, but you know, it's one of those things that, man, it just still seemed to make you feel good. Yeah, it, it made no? you feel good, or it helped you deal with an emotion. Um, yeah, people like to think of great musicians and great breakup songs a few better <laughs> than if the phone doesn't ring, it's me. Man, the cleverness in that <laughs> song, uh, I got to yeah. tell you, that got me through a. Well, <laughs> let's just say yeah. I, I keep that one handy. <laughs> you know, the, and the irony on that, too, is that if you go to um, Jimmy's Facebook page, which is still active right now, yeah, that's his little bio tagline up there is, if the phone doesn't ring, it's yeah. me. How ironic, you yeah. know, and yeah. tragic, but yeah, who thinks of cool stuff like that, you know? Help me with um, help me with something, Matt. Uh, you're, you're you're getting your your doctorate, so you're <laughs> you're you're an adva- you're an you're you're an advanced intellectual, here, sir. So maybe you I'm can. I'm crazy. Help me. That's what I am. You're crazy, <laughs> is what you are. I don't think so. But we would go insane if we weren't all crazy. Um, yeah. Matt, one of the sets of lyrics that has it's it's always haunted me, and it's from that's what loving is to me it's from the mark twain be good and you will be lonesome and then he says be lonesome and you will be free tell a lie you will live to regret it that's what living is be good and you will be lonesome that's always on what do you think mark twain meant what do you think jimmy buffett meant i think he got a lot of influence from mark twain um that was from the fall on the equator book you know which was an kind of an ironic book as i understand it It's one that Mark Twain wrote, and I think there was a sense of pressure for him to have to write it. Mm-hmm. And there, I think some of the darker sides to Mark Twain kind of came out in that mm-hmm. particular you know, book. But I think when Jimmy wrote that song, I think he was kind of basing it on that. And I think he was kind of looking at his own life, too, in kind of retrospect, thinking after you become famous, personal space and things and people can take on sort of a different light. Mm-hmm. You become more of a thing than you are a person sometimes. And I think that those words maybe just resonated with him in that kind of a way, you know, and, and uh, I don't know. It's, I think, a, a perfect song, though. I think it is that, that song really song. just is perfect. Yes. Um, it's a hell of a thing to think about. And we'll never truly know, but that's the way I interpret it. Oh, uh, yes, it is a perfect song. And I wonder, too, maybe from your perspective in law enforcement, I wonder if there's an element of, you know, he writes a lot about heroes and crooks and things like that. I wonder if there's Mm -hmm. an element of be good and you will be. Most people just aren't. 
good. I wonder if there was a deeper philosophical thing. You know, he lived a lot of life. He saw a lot of places. Maybe good isn't the default, huh? Maybe there's an element of that, too, possibly. I don't know. One of the things that is kind of different between me and him and different between him and a lot of entertainers, for that matter, is uh, some people are really able to write about their daily everything, you know, their daily experiences. I've never really been able to hit or get real close to writing about a lot of law yeah. things I've seen in law enforcement. I've seen a lot of <laughs> mostly tragedy. Yeah, I and bet only you. successes I've seen were because we were able to catch somebody that committed a tragedy. Let me pay, let me let me a take way. a quick break. This short said one more long segment sure. with you, Matt. I want to pick up on that very thing when we come right back if we can. Sure. Matt Matt Hoggett is my guest. We'll be right back. With his shrimp skin boots and cheap cheroots and his skin as white as paste. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Matt Hoggett is my guest. His own album, Hotter Than Fish Grease. You can get it on Amazon, of course. Uh, you can visit him online at matthoggett.com, H-O-G-G-A-T-T. Uh, performed a lot with Jimmy Buffett. Got his first recording contract through Jimmy Buffett. Matt, were you like me? Did you learn a lot about geography and the world from his songs i i sure did yeah. uh especially lyrics that just were so perfectly made. i learned about buzios and i learned about papa Ate from jimmy buffett for example i learned about somewhere over china yeah that's what <laughs> yeah exactly yeah and you know what and that came out of that that song was not far in the timeline from when david copperfield walked through the great wall of china uh-huh. and i remember thinking when that was on TV, I was thinking, wouldn't it have been great if they'd have played that song in the background? You know? like, but, you know, just wasn't, wasn't in the cards, I suppose. <laughs> I suppose not. You had mentioned, by the way, just speaking of Papa Ate for a moment, you had mentioned Jimmy probably could have had an entirely different career by he was such a gifted writer if he wrote for others. He didn't cover many others, but he did cover, cover Southern Cross, which also mentions Papa Ate. That's probably one of the greatest sailing, if not <laughs> pop, rock, soft rock albums of all time in my book. I'm glad he did it. His version rivals yeah. Crosby, Stills, and Nash. But I wonder I if you had so. any insight. He didn't cover many others. I, I can't think of many other covers he did. Not really. Uh, I heard Brown Eyed Girl. I oh, yes, Brown Eyed Girl. I didn't, even, yep, yep. I didn't even know who Van Morrison was. Right. Um, and I, I first heard that song on the box set, yep. as a matter of fact. And then, the other one that I thought was pretty profound was uh, his version of James Taylor's Mexico. I thought oh, that was yes. really good. I forgot and, about uh, Mexico. Yeah. I'm trying to think of some other. He did a duet with Sinatra. He did, uh, Mac the, he did Mac the Knife with Sinatra. I forgot. I just remembered. He yeah. did a duet yeah. with Sinatra of Mac the Knife, if I'm not mistaken. Sure did. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I hadn't thought. That Beaches Boats, that four set. Four album set you were talking. I remember having it too, and sp- spent way too many hours when I was should have been studying law um, going through it. <laughs> the book. I remember he tells one story from a trip when everyone was so young. I suppose where one of the uh, one of the people on his trip was a little known writer named P.J. O'Rourke. I don't know if you remember reading that in one of his diaries. Don't remember this. Yeah, no. yeah. <laughs> he was traveling around, and there. My producer David, who knows a lot, was saying, "You know, it's interesting. People talk about right time, right place. When Jimmy was really making his 
bones in music and impact with some of those great albums you and I were revisiting, there was kind of this interest, this renewed interest in the South and what the Southern culture was producing. If you think about it, Southern governors were kind of a big deal. Smokey and the Bandit, Dukes of Hazard. Yeah. When people were kind of looking for an escape at the same time in a decade that wasn't that much fun, they were going south and they were looking for the kind of thing that he would give you a little bit of a repose and a retreat from. I wonder if you agree with that. I think you're right about that. There was certainly a culture then. Uh, I mentioned, uh, you know, like those little Dukes of Hazard, yeah. um, Mayberry. Right. You know, there was a lot of a lot of culture out there that kind of seemed to hit on that region of the South, and it may not even be a particular state or city and you know at all just the south in general and i didn't even realize that at the time even growing up here in the south i mean i'm as far south as you can go i'm I'm like a block away from the gulf of mexico my house where i'm at right now so you know can't go any further south without being in the water but i didn't even realize that at the time but i think that's a really interesting concept that, that, that you have there and uh you know i don't know if he was in the right place the right time to tap into that culture or if that culture was just kind of something that tapped into that he was tapping into i don't know i don't i don't know that's a great that's a great yeah my my guy my guy here i call him young david he's he's much much younger than all of us but he has uh he sees farther than 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 some of us do often as well i thought it was a good insight you know Maybe, I don't know if it's his most famous song. Probably it is. We haven't, in this entire hour, even mentioned Margaritaville. Um, <laughs> and uh, I, I don't know if there's anything that you want to say about it or what there is left to say about it. But it's more I mean, than I just... I yeah. about it a lot, a lot of times. You know, I think uh, the point I try to tell people is, is you know, as a songwriter, uh, and I was a songwriter before I was actually a performer. I didn't really ever intend to be a performer. It just kind of happened that way. And now I'm a singer-songwriter, which is, a, um, you know, just a, a title, I guess, we give ourselves. But yeah. your first thing is when you write a song is you, the baseline is you want somebody to like it. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it's just you that likes it, mission accomplished. Mm-hmm. If other people like it, even better. And if you can make some money off of it, great, you know. But he hit all of those marks on that song. And then at the same time, that song just seemed to take off and create a life of its own that actually transcended into a physical thing, which became a lifestyle, which, you know, there's no way he knew that was going to happen when he wrote it. But it was just the perfect set of uh, you know things that I guess kind of happened that, that made that well you could envision and, you could envision him doing yeah. that you could just envision him living those lyrics I, well that's what they said about Sinatra he lit you could he he spoke himself yeah. into his songs when he was on stage yeah. and you could see sure. the same thing with Jimmy but you could just envision every part of what he is and what he was singing about I think he had that yeah. knack you know yeah yeah, absolutely. Just absolutely perfect. You know, some people always say, you know, what's the perfect song? You know, does it have to have a lot of melodic elements to it? Does there have to be minor and major keys? Does it have to have a lot of instruments and lyrics? And I would say no. I mean, what, what's your idea of perfect? You know, I mean, the, maybe the most popular song in history is Happy Birthday, <laughs> you know. And, and so, you know, sometimes it's not the complexity of it, it's the sim- simplicity of it. And that just created a whole thing. You know, he's looking for that law of shaker assault. Nobody really knows what that means. Right. But I assume it means I'm just looking for something I've never been able to find. <laughs> that could be anything <laughs> this week that's bothering me. Uh, that's I, interesting. Know? Yeah. But, I- 
you know, it's just a, just a beautiful thing. Yeah, it's a metaphor as much as it is as a physical object looking for that lost shaker of salt. That's right. Yeah. It's a funny thing because I was just only a week ago— um, my uh, my producer is asking if there's anyone you could interview. You know, I've been doing this for a long time. If there's anyone you haven't interviewed that you could, who would it be? And I said, there's really only two. There's really only two. And it's because of the complexity of their lyrics. Paul Simon yeah. and Jimmy Buffett. Paul Simon and oh, Jimmy Buffett. Yeah. And uh, Jimmy yeah. left his mark. Yeah. yeah, they he left his mark this week. And Paul... God bless him. Eighty something has a new album out this year. Well, Paul, yeah. I mean, Matt, I'm sorry, Matt. You've been such a just. It's been great having you on, sir. It, you've been a great sport, and uh, our condolences to you and your family over your friend and the loss of him. But uh, he gave us something to live with forever, all of us. So again, thanks for your willingness to come on. We didn't know each other before. I'd like to say we know each other a bit more now, and. Uh, want to just Thank wish you, you the best. It. You I, betcha. I appreciate the work you do, and, and uh, I appreciate your interest in, in talking deeper about it and, and hitting on some of the things that people don't always, you know, uh, recognize and, and understand or know. And, you know, I think that there's a, there's definitely some sunlight on the horizon out there eventually, and I think there's going to be more happiness to, to share in this whole thing before we know it in just a different form, you know. Well, bless you from your mouth to God's ears. Yeah, there's another story there for you. Thank you, folks. I'm getting a lot of emails. People really like this. This is great. You know, this was the point I was making. He was so literary and so consumed with great literature. This one just came in um, from a listener. Uh, Seth, uh, what a Buffett education. I knew at least two other people in college who started reading St. Zupery before they got there only because of Jimmy Buffett. That's the... uh, God, for great, great hero, great French author and, and war hero who wrote The Little Prince, which is uh, an absolutely gorgeous book. Jimmy wrote his own children's uh, book and song. It's uh, He wrote it for his daughter. It's a fun song, and it's a great children's book, The Jolly Mon, J-O-L-L-Y-M-O-N. David, thanks for being—we're uh, going to turn back to policy and politics in the next hour, but thanks for being such a sport and your get-up and everything. Yeah, I've got the whole outfit today. It's fun. Did you even know who Jimmy Buffett was before you got to this job? I think about three seconds after I met you, I had to know who Is Jimmy that right? Buffett was. Is that right? Well, he's, he's your favorite artist, And right? we baptized you by fire, huh? Baptized me by fire. I think, um, I guess with, with people of my generation, yeah. you might say, yeah. and below... Uh, well, at least during these modern times, yes. people of my generation learn about artists more through their passings mm-hmm. than their life. I think you're right. I was also of a certain age, you know, where I, I didn't really know about Michael Jackson mm-hmm. until his death. Things like that, you know, that that age range, yeah. I guess you might say. <laughs> yeah, well, and there is this rediscovery of the great classics, too, you know. Um, you're seeing some YouTube channels on that mm-hmm. with some younger people rediscovering the greatness of – Frank Sinatra or Harry Connick Jr. and those kinds of things. So, yeah. All right. Well, if you want the catalog of favorites, it's Cowboy in the Jungle, Havana Daydreaming, Somewhere Over China, Smart Woman in a Real Short Skirt, written about one of our listeners and callers named Betsy, who maybe can call us tomorrow. I was hoping to hear from Betsy this week. Uh, that's a, that's a call-in classic with this show. That was my best night in 19 years of radio. That was the best three minutes of it <laughs> when she called in because I love that song. 
Pirate looks at 40. Changing channels. We didn't talk with Matt about changing channels. That's another hauntingly sad and smart breakup song. Captain and the Kid, Changes in Attitude, Son of a Sailor, That's What Living Is to Me and the Wino and I Know. That would be that would be the canon. Well, after today, today's yep. Buffett Balooza, and we're yep. still working on it, we're going to have all of these songs to add into the rotation <laughs> well. for the rest of the week. Uh, well, for the week. Okay, good enough. Bless you. Thank you. All right, a lot more coming right up. We'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. 